Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Must Be the Place, the Building Science Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Henderson. Each episode is a deep conversation with a carefully chosen peer about not just houses, but place. Yeah, of course we talk about houses and retrofits, but we also want to change the industry for the better, forever. Energy poverty, community engagement, industry disruption, societal responsibility, and climate change. It's all here and so much more. Hey there, Shauna here. My guest today was looking for a training platform for his energy advisors and found Blue House Energy and me. Paul Galliari is the Managing Director at EnergyWise, an energy assessment consulting company deeply passionate and committed to our environment. They're just my kind of folks. Exposed to home construction at a young age, he started his first company as a teenager and has never stopped. He continues to grow his team of advisors and makes great impact in the efficiency space. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for joining me. And how are you today? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you today? Good. I'm a little hot. You know, it's 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 uh it's hot and sticky here in Nova Scotia. We are 30 uh, degrees humidex. I think it was 39 right now. So it's it's yeah. warm. Yeah, it's warm. Yeah, we were this morning at 7:30 when I rolled out of bed. It was 19 degrees and 98% humidity. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So in the introduction, it said you were exposed at a young age to construction. That was your family business? Uh, my, my dad. So my dad mm-hmm. had nine siblings. And in the family, they had all of the trades, with the exception of one. They needed to contract out to dig foundations. Other than that, they built the entire house, duplexes, fourplexes. Uh, and I grew up in that, uh, in that environment. Cool. Cool. You know, what I love about your story is your grit and you turned in, you, you know, you started a business when you were young. I started my first business when I was 18. Um, I had been laid off from three jobs in six months at the height of the recession in the 19. 19- <laughs> um, so <laughs> you beat me by two years. You were 16. And that, you know, at that age, you know, most boys want to have fun. I have a 16 year old son and I've got a pretty clear idea of what he and his friends considered to to be fun Um, and uh, jobs are providing, you know, jobs are for providing funds for fun. And that does not include starting a business because that's not, that's not getting money right off the top. So what drove your entrepreneurial spirit from such Uh, an age? uh, When I was uh, actually, when I was 15, my cousin up in the Sioux, he's a dentist and he wanted to put a lawn irrigation system into his new property on the waterfront. He challenged me to figure out how to do it. There were no providers in Sault Ste. Marie at the time, and I did. I installed it uh, at the age of 15, um, did a lot of training, Yeah. made a few mistakes along the way. And uh, <laughs> when I turned 16 and had my license, uh, I was able to, uh, to move forward with that business. He provided some referrals to other dentists and doctor friends, and from there, I just grew it into a business that did uh, both residential and commercial. So it was, so it's all, all it irrigation? was actually a lot of fun. It was all irrigation. Uh, actually, well, it was irrigation, and we did some of the uh, low-voltage lighting. For, uh, oh, cool. Property. And so, so did that mean that you ended up being the excavator guy that your family didn't have? 
No, no, actually, <laughs> we, uh, we had equipment to do that, but it was a totally different scope, of course. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> but it was and fun. So, you, mentioned, you mentioned that uh, your own business is a lot of work. Well, it was a lot of work, Yeah. but it was also a lot of fun. Uh, being only 16 and, and doing that through high school and university, the summers, of course, um, I, I worked with friends, believe it or not. My crews were friends of mine, and we had as much fun as we worked hard. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was, my first business was, uh, well, I was bored spitless, and my mom was like, are you going to go out ever? I was like, well, I, you know, like sending off resumes and trying to find work, and and she, she finally said, oh, you, like I was on her nerves, so why don't you just put up a sign in the local laundromat? I, I was very skilled at uh, sewing and alterations from her instruction. And so that was my first company was taking in, uh, was, was creating a, a, a dressmaking and alteration slash mending company. Fantastic. And, uh, and I did that for a while. And then when I was in, and and the the drag for me was that I would have actually probably been something to do some started in construction if when I was in high school I'd been allowed to take shop courses. Uh-huh. I have I have you know for all the boys that wanted to take home ec and learn how to cook and sew I'm really sorry I took your spot in that class but <laughs> I didn't have much choice. Um but uh, yeah, so so we kind of like a, have a little bit of a, a parallel path in terms of young people with, hmm, I don't know, what are we going to call it? Entrepreneurial Ambition. spirit? Ambition? Ambition? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll try this one. <laughs> cool. And you, so, and, and then your, your career has been fairly diverse since then. You, you've run a few companies. Yeah, so from there I, I went to university and... I did get two degrees. The first one was economics. Those summers I did still run the irrigation business, but I sold that. When I moved to Windsor for my business degree, I then started selling computers, actually assembling, servicing, and selling computers to fellow students. So I did that for my uh, my two years there. Right and on. then out into the real world. Uh, yeah. Worked for a couple of major corporations before I settled in on on home inspection and then eventually this trade, the energy trade. Awesome. Yeah, well, that's interesting. My path went from uh, dressmaking design. I taught myself how to draft patterns. I started doing high fashion stuff for, I was in Vancouver and I had a few clients who were like, oh, you know, I'm going to this thing for the bar association and I need a new dress and it's in, you know, two months and stuff. And then I, um, I learned how to do tailoring and I did bespoke um, suits for lawyers and I worked with a couple of drag queens doing like outrageous costumes, which was so much fun. Um, and then I just sort of morphed into doing like, you know, you do like sketches and drawings and stuff. And I was involved with commercial or not commercial theater, but community theater groups. And they're like, Oh, well, if you're doing the costumes, can you do like a poster? And so I morphed into graphic design always been a writer and then started doing writing for my graphic design clients. And then that kind of morphed into something else. And then I had a straight job for all of 18 months out of my whole life. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I was working as an art director for a building products wholesaler. And 
after having a near nervous breakdown from having this little confined life of you go to work and you you must do these hours after being you know most of my my previous life you know how that works like I'm working long hours and it's crazy but whatever um, it's my life and uh, um, I had an epiphany I wanted to help people learn how to I wanted to be, I wanted to design houses I wanted to work with people in their houses and I went back to school at 27 and wound my way through some other bits and pieces to becoming an, uh, an R2000 evaluator in the 90s and uh, and then was one of the first energy advisors in the country. And yeah, I found I my passion. I, you know, once you find your passion for this kind of stuff, that's, that's where you land. And I, it's 30 years now. I always find it really interesting to, to find out how people got to where they are diverse backgrounds and yeah. it's not always where you start is where you end up it's fantastic well yeah and there's uh, you know i i very rarely he- hear anybody's story that's a straight line oh i went from school to this mm-hmm. it's like well wow how did you <laughs> how did you luck into that straight path <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so we are embarking on a a, a partnership of sorts with equipment and training and we contact we, you got in contact with us just prior towards the greener homes initiative was announced and so we're now working you've got this great package of equipment that you sell that's tight that comes with our training and we're going to be promoting the heck right out of that for the next the next while because it's brilliant because that's one of the things that's missing for us is like you know people can get training but now what? Yeah. Well, we, we saw the program coming for, for a number of months, of mm-hmm. course, and uh, we just wanted to prepare and make it easy for the, uh, the upcoming energy advisors. And we did establish that store, eatools.ca, where they can go online and purchase everything they need, whether it's training, equipment, or both. Well, in most cases, it's both. Mm-hmm. And we all know that it could be a huge financial hurdle to get into this industry. So we partnered with a few finance companies that are able to uh, spread that co- the cost out over a number of years. So I, I think it just makes it a lot easier for the, the new and upcoming energy advisors to get into the industry, knowing they yeah. have those extra services and uh, resources behind them. And your, the training course uh, that you guys offer, uh, I, I did my own training for quite a few years, but uh, I, I just know that that is not my forte uh, and there's better products out there. And I, I looked at a number of them. And mm-hmm. when I saw yours, I, I thought it was the best fit because uh, you do it at your own pace. You're not forced yeah. to sit in front of a screen for eight hours uh, for two or three days or four days and have everything crammed down your throat. Uh, your program spaces it out to the user's pace. Right. And that's and that's also, you know, in terms of adult education, that's how we learn as adults. As soon as we hit puberty, our our brain stops being a sponge. And now we have to relate everything to what we already know. That's a real simplification of adult education, but that's basically it. Yeah, we're uh, both going through that same transition. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and so that's but the other thing that we found is the reason we went to the on-demand piece was because people wanted to be working at the same time. So, you know, you don't have to put your life on hold to get this training, which is really important. So um, that started when? It must have been a progression mm-hmm. where you developed the courses over a few years, um, worked out the bugs sort of thing. 
Yeah, we went online in 2012. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we were, you know, definitely ahead of the curve, um, and which is where I've kind of sat for a while because I'm like, I, I'm a voracious reader and listener um, to interesting ideas. And so I, when I went back to school, I did a two-year program at BCIT that was on, on building technology. And after this first year, I said, this is really cool. So this is back in, I don't want to say it, 1989. <laughs> 1990 <laughs> and I said this is super cool I want to learn all this stuff but I've just read about this R2000 program and I've just read about passive solar design so are we going to be incorporating those kinds of things into the second year of, of, the, of the program and they said well no actually we're not what we're going to be doing is uh, mm, teaching you how to spec concrete block buildings for small commercial stuff and I was like mm, mm. fine I am out Yep. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's actually how I ended up in Nova Scotia is I got in touch with Don Roscoe, who is a solar designer builder out here and had been featured in Harrowsmith magazine, my favorite. <laughs> no defunct, but there you go. Uh, and uh, and so I had written him a letter and said, you know, I've got time between contracts and stuff and I really would like to come out and I'll sweep cigarette butts off the floors I don't care I just want to be around I want to be on the sites and I want to hear I want to be able to pick your brain and he said well come on out um, if you want I have a 10-month contract to rewrite a book on um, passive solar greenhouses Hmm. passive solar homes I was like well that's a double bonus (laughs) I can get paid (laughs) to go there and that was supposed to be a 10-month contract and here I am 30 years later fantastic who knew? You mentioned solar. Uh, we're seeing <laughs> yeah. a huge uptake in solar right now. We have a, a lot of energy assessments to do for customers that will use the Greener Homes program for that. Right. Um, and you're talking about PV. P, we're talking PV yeah. solar now, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. And, in fact, I wanted to do it on my house, but uh, I learned the hard way that different markets have different tolerances. Mm-hmm. In my neighborhood, uh, the installer actually lives three blocks from my house, but London Hydro is just not able to accommodate solar at all in our area, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, there's Uh, a lot of restrictions in different different areas. Like here in Nova Scotia, you can put PV on your roof, but the system is sized essentially by Nova Scotia Power on what they figure your load is going to be. hmm. And so so they want it so that that the, the utility in this case... And I think in BC still, um, um, they never want you to be a net energy provider. Okay. Right. They just want if you zero out, that's cool with them. They just that, but that's um, and you can if you have if you put more modules on your system, and right. you are producing more and putting more into this into the grid, you could actually lose your legal license or it's not a license, but your legal ability to actually feed back into the grid. So here in London, you wouldn't lose uh, the license or the ability to feed back in, but they they penalize you cost-wise. You won't get anything back for anything anything you overproduce and not use at your own house. But I wonder how they actually uh, deal with the fact now that more and more people are going to start purchasing electrical vehicles. Are they including that Mm -hmm. in their calculations? Because that's a huge increase on on the grid, too. Time to tell, I suppose. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, then there's all the questions about what about uh, time of use billing. Now we're charging cars, and here in Nova Scotia we have significant 
you know, fairly significant number of thermal st energy storage units. That was one of the things that Nova Scotia Power um, huh. um, put forward several years ago and, and carried on a program for a long time. I'm not sure if it's still going, but, you know, basically you have this box this, uh, full of ceramic materials that gets charged up and heated overnight when the prices are low. Mm -hmm. And then it re-radiates the heat into the, the living space during the day. So mm -hmm. you don't have to have a heating system on full bore throughout right. the, the daytime when, when energy is higher cost. But our grid is also changing a little bit too. Yeah. So more renewables means that there's more non-dispatchable sources, which means now we need to look at something, you know, let's not go down that rabbit well, hole. Yeah, that one's too it, hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Greener Homes Grant and how you see that um, impacting your world. Uh, world. The, the impact was immediate. Once they announced it, um, although they didn't have good backup for us, as I think everyone in the, in the industry knows, their systems, their computers, their, it wasn't ready for the release. Um, we're still booking a lot of calls, a lot of appointments. We definitely need more advisors. We have, mm -hmm. uh, the last count was 14 in the, uh, in the pipeline right now being trained. And I think it's going to be good for us. It's going to be good for the industry for the next five or six years mm -hmm. and hopefully maintains beyond that. I think it will. You know, it's getting past that place where where we're talking about voluntary um, energy assessments, right? We're yeah. talking um, as code changes, as performance path compliance becomes more of the way of the world, um, because it's much easier to get a house to pass uh, performance path than it is prescriptive, right? Like the, right, the, right. in the code, the, the thou shalt um, piece. Um, and so builders and, and renovators are going to be, be able to use some pretty cost-effective methods to actually get to those the targets that are going to be coming in. in they're already in BC's code, but we're going to see them across the country with the national uh, code in the coming few years. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I don't, it's, it's all sort of nebulous. It's 30, 2030 or it's 2032 or, you know, and then it's who's going to adopt it, all blah, blah, blah. Um, but really, it's going to be there by the time this greener homes initiative, the five, five-ish years of, of money is there. I think we're going to be finally established. I've been waiting for it for 30 years. I was like, this is what, you know, why would you not do this? But <laughs> we, we all hope so. All the energy mm -hmm. advisors hope so because uh, there was a huge loss yeah. in the industry when they uh, got rid of the last program back in 2011, 2012. Yeah. Um, don't want to go through that again. We're still building yep. up from that. We have a core yeah. group of people that are still with us, but the vast majority went on to other careers because they had to. They had to, yeah, yeah. I think I recall the figure, and this might, I don't know, I don't have any way to cite this figure, but when that happened, when the Eco Energy Program was, was chopped off, there were somewhere close to 2,000 or 2,500 energy advisors in the country. Yeah, the number I heard was close. I heard 2,600. Okay, yeah. And uh, most recently, the number went as low as about 600, but it's been. And we're about eight. We're about eight now? Yeah, yeah. we're about eight now. And the, uh, the Greener Homes is saying that uh, initiative is aimed at getting another 2,000 into the field. So that'll put us close to where we were before, where we which were. is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So with all your, 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 you've got a long history in working in this field. 
what would you recommend as first steps when people are considering upgrades? Um, well, talk to a service organization or an energy advisor and your contractors. Uh, they definitely have some specialties that go well beyond what we have as energy advisors, but we could at least guide you in the right direction. Um, the energy assessment, the results of it, the report they have now and the ERS software is fantastic. Gives the homeowner a really good guide to start with. Um, from there, they'll want to definitely talk to contractors and more than one mm-hmm. to get uh, further guidance. Um, that's a starting point at least. Yeah, I think I find there's quite often a disconnect between what comes, uh, like I've built a career basically off taking what any energy advisor gives to a homeowner and actually creating a roadmap Mm -hmm. that works for that homeowner. Um, And that was prior to this this report coming out, this this report style with this roadmap in it. Um, But often I get people coming to me going, so now what? What what order do I what order do I do this in? Who's going to do the work? And of course, as the energy advisors are supposed to be a neutral third party, yep. so they they're not supposed to say use this contractor or use that contractor. And it's real. I mean, there seems to be a disconnect there that we could whether it's a another third party agency or some sort of a, I don't know, licensing program for renovators. I don't know what, you know, what do other Hmm. industries do? Yeah. (laughs) The licensing, you know, they're talking about licensing it for home inspectors in Ontario. Uh, They're in a similar situation. They're in the middle as well. They want to do the best for the homeowner. Um, And they have the uh, other realtor to deal with, which could be interesting from time to time. They're playing that middle road Uh, Mm -hmm. in our industry. I believe there's a program called Redomar in Ontario. That's for home builders. Yeah, that's through CHBA. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Canadian Home Builders Association. So you have to be a member of that organization okay. to take that training that's not outside of the outside of the organization. It's a good program. It's about it's it's primarily about ethics and, and you know, some guidelines about being a, a, okay. a okay. good business person. Um, but it definitely is one way to to offer up some some confidence in people. But that's one of the biggest things that I've heard all through my career is like, well, I don't know how to trust an, you know, I can't trust a contractor. They're just going to come in here and rip me off. So I think the best thing we can do as energy advisors to start is to, well, give more than one referral. And we always train our, our, our people to start with three, sometimes four, mm-hmm. but usually awesome. three. And we see the quality of work. So we could give them usually three good referrals and then leave it in the customer's hands to mm-hmm. talk to each of them, right. uh, get, get a proposal and, from each of them at least. Yeah. And if they want to bounce off, if they want to bounce ideas off us, certainly. Uh, that doesn't happen too often in reality, though. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where people would come to me over the over the years is to say, you know, I want to do this work, um, and what I ended up creating was a not only a roadmap system for my clients, but also um, a whole series of bid documents that I just, I basically did the specs and hmm. said, here, hand this off to your contractor. And if they say that you, they don't need to do this, they'll do it just like something else. And they say that you don't need to have a blower door test to mm-hmm. ensure that there's, you know, some kind of performance testing on the, on the building, then just walk away. Yeah. Which is really hard when, and it's hard for homeowners to do that when 
all of a sudden you've you're down to maybe there's two people who have actually responded because everybody's being run off their feet because there's so much work. So I guess the question is, how do we get that fantastic resource into the, into the hands of more homeowners? I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually part and parcel of a longer term project that I'm working on that we would have. Um, we're developing uh, a cloud-based app for energy advisors and homeowners that will create work on off a series of decision trees that I've built up over the years um, on paper for going walking through a house <clears throat> and at the end of those of 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 the walkthrough um, you've basically done like a lack of a better word a choose your own adventure style book right it's like what's here and that leads you know if I've got a rubble-based foundation, then here's what the decisions are that you need to make about that and the observations you need to make about that. Is there obvious water damage? Is there? Can you see when you have the blower door, test, the blower door online, can you see cobwebs moving? You know, and then so, so best practices for improving the energy efficiency of a house with this kind of basement, with these conditions, is this. So... It gives you that piece. Um, the beta version of that, when we get it out probably in the next year or so, is not going to include bid docs, but it will as we get rolling and get, get things moving. We just want to get it out the door as fast as possible. And you mentioned um, that'll be an online resource as well, mm -hmm. virtual in yep. the cloud. Yep, yep. Virtual in the cloud, and we're also going to throw the, um, the uh, Hot 2000 data collection piece and the HTML5 piece. So the big thing that I'm really excited about is being able to have junior EAs out in the field with this tool that they can use. This app becomes a learning tool in the field, honing their observational skills. What are you seeing? Does it look like mold? Does it look like moisture? Does it look like mob and tube? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like what are you looking for? How do you, you know, what does, what does vermiculite look like? And then they're out in the field looking at houses and being able to answer the questions. So it'll be visual if they uh, run into something they think might be, yeah. might be vermiculite, yeah. they'll be able to actually see samples. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. yeah. So this is what it looks like. This is, you know, here's what, I, here's what we're talking about when we say efflorescence, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So, yeah, so that's, that's part and parcel of what we're going to, well, part and parcel of what we're going to be pulling out over the next year. So. Nice, so nice. bid documents included wait. in that. So, you know, I mean, everything that I'm trying to do, and I think is what also what you're trying to do is, is make it easy for homeowners to be able to do the, to get the work done. I mean, if, if, if we have this, this constant sort of gap between the report and the work, mm -hmm. then we never get any closer to any climate change goals. Yeah. No, that's going to be a fantastic resource. I can't wait, actually. Thanks. Cool. Me neither. I, I also, I also <laughs> wish the. Uh, I think every energy advisor across the country also wishes that Intercan would move to an online platform for their software. Mm, it's it real hard to. Yeah, I mean, you've got over a million lines of spaghetti code. That's, yeah, that's a, you know, it's hard. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges, right? It's been. It, I mean, and the history on that is it started out as eight lines of code for an R two thousand house. Really? Eight? Yeah. Eight lines huh. of code. If we do this 
here or he, here's here's one house built this way very few inputs here's the house if we built it to the r2000 standard huh. it was it was basically like a little like cell spreadsheet that you know yeah. on steroids that was it but i think they yeah. uh, they can still do it i think if you put all the the guts of the system online but you don't have to access all that in the field uh if you have the data true. collection in the field and then by the time you get back to a computer or to your home or between appointments, uh, it can do all the work in the background. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's doable. Yeah. In today's technology, it's doable. And it would save a lot of time. It would reduce a lot of errors with the advisors from transcription from one yeah. media to the other. Yeah. I, I just think well, I've not missed there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, and, and there has been talk. Like I was on the upgrade subcommittee. I don't even know when that was anymore. The early 2000s. And it was one of the things we wanted to do. They were they were hoping to do what was then known as Hot 3000. Hot 3000. I was on that as well. And it was going to be yeah, it was going to be open source and and be able to plug and play, so you could put in your regional requirements and and mm-hmm. you know, and and I think it just they just couldn't stop it from crashing and uh. and. Uh, and then of course because it's spaghetti code, and I'm not you know this is like I'm talking. At the very peak of my pay grade in terms of IT now, <laughs> that that unraveling that meant that the you know the engine that the core engine that does the number crunching was 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 being compromised and we're getting weird numbers out. Hmm. So again, you know, it's it's pushing something that was made for new construction, right? It was I mean what it was made for was okay. R2000 new construction, and we've pushed it way far into this realm of existing housing, which is not what it was initially designed mm-hmm. to do and wasn't designed to do up until, like, I guess, early, mid-90s, I think. Okay, all right. Yeah. See, I got involved around uh, 2007. I guess that was around the time where they went from a product that I was not familiar with, Hot X2P or X, Hot XP or... Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was. Yeah. That well, I was. See, uh, I didn't see that. I came in as the uh, Hot 2000 actually got introduced. Yeah. Well, it's, it was Hot 2000 before, and when I started, it was in C. So it okay. actually wasn't even. And so, so wow. the firm I worked for, we beta tested from C to Windows, uh, which was like crazy. Um, and then they introduced Hot 2 XP, which was has evolved back into Hot 2000 as the Wizard. It's the wizard piece that oh, allows okay. you to throw okay. in a generic house and then and then change that house from there. So, right. um, yeah, yeah, hmm. <laughs> yeah. The ins and outs of the history of this uh, this one piece of software pretty amazing. And <laughs> and also there was like just two or three people who could actually wind their way through the code wow. for a long time. So you know, I mean, I think it's 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 something that has stood us well and is what we're using. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we will, we'll make the best of it. Um, I think there's always room for improvement. And I would, <laughs> any, sure. yeah. any of oh, my yeah. colleagues, uh, the, my peers at Nova Scotia, or at, at, at anybody at Natural Resources Buildings Group that has worked with me over the years is going, oh my God, she's <laughs> poking us again. Can you make it better? Can you make it better? I found an inst- I found a problem. I found a bug. <laughs> yeah, but that's the only way it happens. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. So, so let's turn from the software 
because that's something that is out of the scope for pretty much anybody who's coming. I mean, it is what mm -hmm. it is, right? That's anybody right. coming right. into the industry is going to have that. Let's talk about the qualities that make up a good EA. I mean, you've hired and trained, what, 150 plus? Yeah, yeah, it's been quite a few over the years. What are the qualities that shine for you in terms of who who's who's going to make it as a as a good EA? Who's going to make it in the long run? There's a lot of things you have to look at, um, and because we were just talking with software, I'll, t I'll start with technology. We find that the uh, the advisors that have the hardest time are those that are not good with computers. So the individual that's been in the trades for a lot of years wants to wind down and possibly get into energy assessing homes. Um, that was, uh, I guess, the biggest challenge mm -hmm. because although we can train them on the industry, um, housing in general, the technology is a whole other component and it could take a lot of time and energy to get yourself up to speed. And unfortunately, yep. that's, that, that situation still exists, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, because I do have something to add into that, and I think that it's really that is a key thing that comes up in in all sorts of conversations with all sorts of people around this this area. Is do does one person have to touch that file? Can it be that there is somebody who loves energy modeling on the computer, and somebody who loves site work, doing the blow order test work, you know, a people person working with the homeowner, doing all that work, under, you know, like, like that was my favorite part mm -hmm. of being an EA, was actually reaching out and, and helping people. Yeah. Um, and I, but I, I think that, you know, you could have three different EA categories, lower uh, door technician. Mm -hmm energy modeler and EA because there's a whole raft of people who actually can't get out to sites and work sites very well, right? Their mobility impediments or site, you know, visual impairments, mm -hmm. but they can sit at a computer and do really good work because they just understand how, how that, that system works. I've seen three, three different positions. Of course, there's the energy advisor that, does uh, a lot of the site work. I've seen them bringing out um, assistance uh, to help with the data collection. Uh, and I'm aware of the fact that some do have um, other helpers that can do the modeling on, on the computer. The only qualification is, as Brandon can, is they would have to also write the two, the same mm -hmm. two exams and pass them. Uh, they don't have to go any further on the training, but the, right. they do need, need that basic understanding. But it's absolutely doable. And in some cases, it makes absolute sense. Uh, there are individuals that do much better in front of people. Yeah. People, you know, they get out there and they love it out in the field and they dread the computer work. And yeah. we've, we've trained a few individuals that do just the, train, just the, uh, the computer work. Uh, absolutely. Um, other mm -hmm. good qualities, you do have to be uh, good with people. You have to be patient as an energy advisor, you have to be willing to take the time to discuss what you're doing and some of the recommendations with the homeowner. Uh, unfortunately, the reality in the field is not every energy advisor is that person, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate, but uh, that's the ideal person. Right, right. Well, and on that that piece, we've recognized that what of uh, most of our training is very technical because it's mm -hmm. that's what we started out with. 
but we're going to be adding a suite of soft skills uh, courses into our energy advisor training that focus on communication and dispute resolution and all sorts of things that help mm-hmm. people with with that that area where it's more of a formal a formalization of what you might know as a good people person right yep. so um and I, I think that, you know, some other training that could be really helpful for EAs um, is some basic business training, because if you're working as a contractor to a service organization, you need to have, be able to understand how to do your your um, your books. To uh, for our energy advisors, we have actually a business startup manual available. We don't, oh, sell fantastic. It. We, we don't sell it for others. It's just for our own advisors, yeah. but it goes through all the steps, uh, the decision matrix. Do you want to be a sole proprietor, a corporation, reasons why either way. Um, it, it walks them through the steps on how to set up your, your HSC account. I mean, it goes through all the different steps That's for fantastic. someone not in business. Yeah. So, yeah, those, those, those extra things definitely help. Yeah, yeah, and I think that those are the kinds of things that, you know, that, that those of us who are in the industry doing training and, and, and hiring definitely need to have those toolkits together for folks to ensure individual success and success as a collective, both in terms of our individual companies and as an industry. You know, there's going to be, when we were talking when we first, we have had our first phone call a few weeks ago about the number of, of energy advisors it's going to take to, um, you know, divide the number of energy advisors into the $700,000, $5,000 grants and add that to the $40,000 no interest loans plus the uh, Federation of Canadian Municipalities, community energy funding. And it's like, oh, this is like, where do you, you know, stop? <laughs> where do you stop? And, you know, the reality is that you, you know, there is a time frame for each and every um person when they're out in the field but we need to have a lot of confident people out there and we need that's going to be the success, the success right is that we we've been able to to move competent people out into the field and that support. was a huge that was a huge exercise did you actually come to a number you don't have to tell you a number did, but did you? oh i did um yeah um 2000 is really low yeah. 2000 more is really low um i don't have any figures um, on the um, on how many municipalities are putting money or getting money from the, the, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities funding. Um, but essentially, um, let me think it was in, I just wrote a blog article which is coming out um, on it'll be up on by the time this episode is aired, um, the blog article will be online so I'll put it with the resources. Um, but assuming that from start to finish, it's approximately nine hours or so per file, which might be, you know, I mean, I'm saying, you know, some are going to be really fast mm-hmm. and some will be much longer. So I kind of, I didn't guess <laughs> so much as I went, if I was going into an existing home, these are the things that I would do. And so, so I, I so nine and a half hours to go from setting up the appointment to handing off the uh, renovation upgrade report. I'll be looking forward to that blog. I, I did hear rumors that uh, the municipalities are uh, getting a lot of funding to do their own individual programs, yep. but uh, I, I can't wait to see what they are. 
Well, yeah, they're going to be really interesting. The only constant for us in all of that is that FCM has is requiring that any municipal funds that go towards any kind of retrofit program, mm-hmm. energy retrofit program, will rely on Energuide for Houses ratings. You must Fantastic. do a pre and post. So, so while you know that's why I was saying you know with the uh, we have the code thing that's coming up, new 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 building code, yeah. tiered code, perf- uh, performance path on that. But then all of these other big programs with multi-year funding for capital programs, like the, the specifically the one from FCM, mm-hmm. um, is going to change the landscape for us dramatically. Good. So it's it's good for us, but it, more importantly, it's good for for homeowners and everybody yeah. in the industry. Yeah, and us being all of you know. Yeah. Like we need, we need to deal with this. I was, um, I was talking with Mark Carver at Natural Resources, um, and he was, you know, was talking about the the fact there's 14 or 15 million houses in Canada, half mm-hmm. of which were built before uh, 1985, which means that they had nothing to do with anything particularly energy efficient or energy about energy yeah. conservation. So, while there's been piecemeal work done on lots of buildings. We actually need to make another giant leap and go from piecemeal incentives to blow in an attic, for example, to a whole house renovation. And how does that happen? What's the steps and who funds it? Right. Right. It's a big it's a it's a big uh, a big shift in how we consider houses. Yeah, it is for certain. But uh, yeah, you're right. That is the next big step. There's a huge stock, as you said, of old houses out there that need to be brought up to. Well, today's standards. Well, and surpass it because we like we really have you know it's anytime you look at a house and do any kind of major renovation on it, that's basically a generational thing, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. You know, you're talking about something that's going to be twenty or thirty years if you do if you do anything to the bones of the house, what do you do for fun, Paul? <laughs> 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 I still love I still love woodworking. I still love uh, uh-huh. carpentry. I always have projects on the go. But outside of that, uh, it's family now. We have a couple yeah. of girls that are in university college, and we're running with them back and forth to different things. One's going to become a pilot. The other one's going to become a vet. So uh, awesome! They're keeping us on our feet and our toes. Uh-huh. Uh, we love bike riding and hiking. I love the outdoors. Nice. I always look for a reason to go out to uh, Alberta and BC. We've been out east only once, and we look forward to coming back again once we get through all this COVID stuff. Well, yeah, let me know when that happens. Absolutely, yeah, Because sure. I can take you on some pretty cool hikes, and there's lots of paddling and stuff around here. Nice. Yeah. I grew cool. up on a boat in Sault Ste. Marie, and I really miss it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different kind of boating experience for me. I'm on the total ocean bo- ocean baby, girl, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having, having grown up in Vancouver, a block away from the uh, from the ocean, and then lived here for nearly 20 years now on this, this little rural point in Nova Scotia, right. where I can walk three, three or four minutes down the hill, and I'm at a beach. Yep. <laughs> and it, it sounds glorious. It's it, it, and it is. <laughs> it, it's a different lifestyle. I go visit a friend of mine that's out in Victoria. He's been there for years, and 
he, uh, we go to the dock. He drops a, uh, I'm not sure what the proper name for the crab trap is. Maybe it's just a crab trap. He drops it in. We go shopping, go for coffee, come back, pick it out, and fresh seafood. It's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you, you know, the dragon, the dragon is that my family hates seafood. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so oh my. My, my 16-year-old son right now is, He's hot and heavy with his buddies there out macro fishing just about every free chance they have. Uh-huh. And he's loving it, but they bring these fish home. And I'm like, who's taking them today? Because yeah. <laughs> we don't eat them. And they smell. Well, they don't smell when they bring them in, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, cool. yeah. Well, it would be great to see you here. At yes. Point. Cool. We all have the bug. We have the bug to get back on the road again. So, mm-hmm. soon. Oh, Yeah. And Very we're hoping much. to make it up to Sault Ste. Marie for my mom's 75th birthday beginning of August. So. Oh, that'll be nice. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Paul. Oh, it was a really pleasure. appreciate it. So that's our episode for today. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. This episode was produced by Blue House Energy, Podcast Atlantic, and Tanya Media. Subscribe and don't miss an episode. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.